This is a Bulldog Radio podcast. Seven and eight. Last Dance, Michael Jordan documentary. This one, I think, was a little more emotional. I thought this one was more. Um, I thought it was. I thought it was a little more interesting than the last ones, just because it talks about his career in baseball, and it kind of talks about his competitive edge. I know we they we talked about it um, in five and six. Yeah, five and six about him his gambling, but he says he is actually a competitive problem. I think here he actually talks about how. He's actually like a killer on the court, <laughs> which is um, pretty interesting to say the least. Uh, what would you guys think? Definitely. Um, I was really excited for this just to see how the baseball like was going. And to be honest, I learned a lot. Uh, Jordan could have actually had a successful MLB career if he would have continued uh, playing baseball because he wasn't that bad. I think the story uh, that we were used to hearing most of our lives uh, – when Jordan uh, retired after the first three peat, he just sucked at baseball. Mm-hmm. He should have never came. You know, they didn't know what he was doing. But he was actually uh, really good. And I think for the first time, because like we talked about in the previous episodes, he was kind of letting, like, in a way the spotlight was getting to him, cameras everywhere. He couldn't, like, relax. And he said when he was around those guys from the, um, the Birmingham Barons on that uh, minor league system team, it was the first time he kind of like, got to be, like, one <clears> of the guys again, just enjoying and have to worry about all the cameras all the time, unless, like, mm-hmm. it's game time, so. It just seemed like this was one of the more relaxed times of his like career in baseball and basketball. I mean, it was really cool to kind of see his running to his other path, uh, especially since this kind of this episode was kind of a, a heavier, more somber note. I mean, they kind of talked about his the murder of his father and stuff like that, and the reason that he went to go play baseball for his dad. And it was just kind of cool to see um, the other side of Michael Jordan, kind of good of an athlete he was to be able to switch from professional basketball to professional baseball, but just kind of see different stuff that was going on uh, during that timeline. Yeah. And you talk about his determination. Like we have a lot throughout this whole series, how he was such a hard worker and everything. And that's why a lot of the, the scouts in the baseball system and even his manager at the time, Terry Francona believed that he could eventually get to the major leagues because he had that mindset and that work ethic that he could get there that a lot of other guys in their system did not. And he was always constantly improving. They talked numerous times about him doing extra work outside of practice, regardless of the sport, to just get better. And then you see that's kind of that mentality side of him being the best. And then you also are introduced with this more emotional side with his father and that situation going on. And it was just a, an episode, or um, both episodes, that were really the ones that really got all of your emotions involved, which was pretty interesting to say the least yeah and they you know they show him you know the kind of relationship with his father and how when he was younger you know in ninth grade he was you know he kind of was michael was acting out of hand or whatever you know he's getting suspended from school and his dad told him like hey you know if you're acting out acting out like this you know no sports for you and you know immediately michael said that he was done he's messing around really he focused on sports um, but, his, you know, his mom, uh, you know, talked about how Michael and his his dad were not just a fatherly figure, you know, a father-son bond, but it was more of like a friend. Uh, he said, like, that was his rock during, I think, all the episodes. I think he talks about, if his father's mentioned, that that was his rock uh, throughout the season, you know, throughout all the his career, basically, throughout his whole life, you know, up until, sadly, he's murdered. But that was his, you know, that was his guy growing up, I, I thought. You're right. It was an emotional episode, but I think it was one that needed to be featured. I think a whole episode devoted to this, or a whole majority of this episode, was definitely uh, required for this. Definitely, and it was well-deserved. Obviously, him and his father were very close, and it's so sad the way how he um, got killed. And uh, It was just a very unfortunate situation, and I think that was one of the main reasons what led Michael to play baseball, like retiring the first time. Because he had already had talked about with his dad um, after they won the first two championships, he was ready to call it quits and try something new because he just didn't really have the passion to play anymore. And when his father got murdered, just kind of motivated him to play baseball because that was his father's dream. And he felt good knowing. He even said uh, 
knowing that my father watched my last basketball game is now I want to try something new. And, um, you know, he didn't know if he was going to come back at the time. Obviously, we know he did, but it was um, it was just cool to see him branch out and try different things in respect for his father. And it's just so sad because, like you said, they were best friends, and everybody in the Bulls organization loved him. Jerry Krause was actually friends with him. He didn't get along with many people. So it was just cool, like, to see that, and it was very sad to see him go. I mean, they took different things throughout the all the episodes to kind of show how good, much of a relationship he had with his father. I mean, he was there for every game. He was sitting in the same spot on courtside for every Bulls game, too. And, I mean, to not have that rock or that anchor there anymore to kind of help him through those tough times, especially when he needs kind of be a shoulder to cry on or just a friend to talk to or someone just to a really kind of vent and that. When that source is kind of gone, when that person that you're able to just confide everything into is gone, you just don't really know where to go, and everything kind of just seeps in, and you just kind of want to bottle everything up. And I think baseball is kind of his escape from not only the press and every all the attention he was getting, but also to him having another connection with his father and just to be able to kind of get those feelings back. Yeah, and when they're interviewing Michael about his father and kind of talking about the relationship he had, and they he really described it more as he was my best friend rather than my father. But he was always there for him. He was there every time he won his three first three championships in the locker room. He was right there next to him, talking to him, enjoying himself with him, making sure that he was having a good time and how proud he was of him throughout the whole thing. And just the just how Michael ended up going through this, I mean, going to baseball was almost kind of his coping mechanism, really, if you think about it. That was his way that he could really feel like he could relate to his father now that he was gone due to that previous connection of them. And even their last conversation together when Michael said they were talking about him going to baseball and his dad was all for it. Obviously, his dad was a much bigger baseball fan than basketball fan. That's what he thought Michael would be much better at as a child. But it just kind of really gets that emotional um, that emotional side of Michael when he's talking about this because you can tell that he's not he's not the same person that he's talking about when it's basketball because it's a lot different and all the emotion that you can see that he especially had in that relationship with his dad and that ended up probably not only helping him in baseball but when he eventually does come back to basketball he's even better than he was before because he pretty much had that mental state where he was in a much better place than he was previously. Yeah, and it, this shows, uh, I think one of the reporters, I can't remember who it was, showed that you know this was the thing that made Michael human. Uh, you know, beforehand, you know, other than the gambling, other than the gambling thing about him, he really didn't have any blemishes really in his career on the court and then off of it. Uh, but, you know, and then the journalism, I guess the guy, I, uh, Ramad Ashad, I think is what he said. Yeah. I think he said this is yeah. probably one of the darkest times for, like, journalism because they started speculating that his father's death was related to a gambling, you know, a gambling tie or incident, you know, of debt of something. Um, and, you know, I think that's just kind of out of pocket. I don't think that's – I don't think that's right. I mean, even looking at it now, I don't think people – I think you could – if you – I mean – I don't know. I, I can't really answer that, I guess, because we weren't there. But, I mean, if you're a reporter at the time, maybe if you had some, you know, some evidence and you were, you know, just trying to piece the story together, yeah, that would make sense. But, you know, at the time, like, I don't I don't think uh, that was very respectable in that manner. I think what we learned in the documentary is that it was a lot of just, like, myths. They were just, in a way, kind of making stories up because all of our life we kept hearing, like, Davis Stern either had a secret suspension for Michael Jordan or his gambling was the reason why he left for baseball. But that wasn't the case. Jordan was already tired, and he said that really in 91 and 92. So he already had knew it, and I guess his father getting killed was, you know, like propelled him to play baseball. But this whole, excuse me, a lot of people were saying, um, you know, his father, Jordan, was the reason. Like, it was just a random act of violence. It was two 18-year-old kids, I believe. And it, it's just a terrible situation. I just think the media was bored. You know, I just feel like they were just trying to make a story. And Jordan, it sucks that, you know, he had to go through that. Because like you said, Barrett, it was really no blemishes. He hadn't lost in the finals. And he was really on top of the world. He was 29. He left in the middle of his prime. So obviously, they were just trying to figure out different things. And also, it was more than just like that. Also, we talked about the Sam Smith book on um, the previous episode. Mm -hmm. The book was getting to him. So I feel like a lot of different factors came in. He just couldn't take it. And he needed that 18-month break. 
gets to the point where, I mean, we've seen already with the media and stuff like that, where they're so hungry for the story that they, they hear maybe a rumor, or like you said, Travis, kind of like myths and stuff like that, where they'll kind of be too quick to post it rather than kind of fact check it and get everything out. So that way when they out there, it's credible. I mean, we've already seen it. I mean, TMZ, when Kobe Bryant passed away, they got it out so fast that not even the family was um, told about the death before, I mean, everyone else everyone else knew it. They posted on their website. I mean, that's comes to the point where media, I feel like, gets too antsy to post things where they don't really realize what's the right thing to post or when to post about it and stuff like that. And I think that was just uncalled for when they kind of talked about if Jordan's father was kind of – or Jordan's father's death was kind of related into his gambling problems and stuff, especially after – during the time where Jordan was grieving and stuff like that. But, I mean, it was just really uncalled for. Yeah, that's an absolutely great point, Joe. Like, that exactly kind of goes on what I was going to say, that a lot of the times when we see these big-name athletes that are on top of the world, there's always going to be those media people out there that they want to they wanna get the story that can really unveil themselves to the community. And most of the time, that's going to be some sort of rumor that's going on or some sort of big news that might not be completely true yet but it's they're starting to get sources and they believe it's true and they want to beat everybody to it it's almost like when we see free agency roll around for the nfl or the nba there's always reporters that are going back and forth with these players because they just want to get it first and then when you get these these rumors going around then you start getting speculation and then the players come out and say guys this isn't even true i don't even know where you got this from where it's like Tom Brady's going to like a day away from signing with the Chargers and look where he is now. Like nobody was even close on that one, but it's just really sad that they had to pin MJ on his father's death with the gambling. Cause I almost believe that was almost even a more of a spark for him to end up going into retirement just because that, at that time MJ was getting absolutely just, I wouldn't say like harassed, but the dude would, he couldn't get away from anybody from the media. It seemed like before game, after game, in between. I mean, there was media always covering him. Even when he was golfing, there was camera guys out there. It's like the dude's just trying to get away from the game, and you guys are still doing all of your interviewing and trying to like get as much of uh, me out of you. And it's just kind of a terrible situation that in reality, I mean, the media might have had a, a pretty big impact on him having to leave the game as well. Yeah, and going back to what Travis said, that he just really needed that 18-month break. Uh, I actually like the aspect of the conspiracy that David Stern actually suspended him. I, I think yeah. that was – I I like that whole piece. I wish we could have investigated that more. Um, obviously, uh, Michael Jordan is like the producer of one of this documentary, so – I don't think, you know, I don't think he was going to put too much credit into that. But the idea that at the time that he was, you know, involved in a, a gambling investigation and then just ends up leaving, um, you know, if this wasn't probably his, you know, his videos or his documentary, that I feel like a, a third party would probably put more of this in the, put more segments of this into the video itself. Just because, I don't know, I think that's actually a pretty interesting thing and a story that really isn't talked about as much is you know yeah he left because of the media was harassing him yeah his father's just passed away you know he wanted to go play baseball but I mean I don't think it would think of David Stern's position of him actually throwing the face of the NBA a suspension because of his gambling invest you know his gambling problems and his gambling crimes so um I think I think David Stern was just trying to play like I'm going to just let this happen. And then, you know, maybe, yeah. you know, they, maybe there's some backdoor deals that happen, you know, just to let them, because, you know, as we know, Jordan comes back. So, you know, he comes back from baseball after the lockout. So I, I don't know. I just thought we should, they probably talk about that more. Yeah, I'm definitely bear. I'm actually happy you brought up the David Stern thing. Cause him, um, Sally, RIP David Stern too. Mm-hmm. He even said it in the documentary, he said, you know, we didn't want Michael to go. We were losing right. money. You know, Michael, he's a face of the league, just won three straight championships. So he even said, like, he dismissed the whole, like, suspension. He said, I've heard it for years. It's completely idiotic. You know, he was like, we needed Michael. He was great for, um, obviously, basketball and just TV and just marketing purposes. Because at the time in the 90s, it was the most viewed at the time that it's ever been since going all the way back to the 50s. So mm-hmm. that it hurt in that aspect. But, um. You know, I just feel like like we've been saying the, you know, the 
theories that they keep coming up with, they were kind of, you know, trying to figure out anything because at the time they didn't have no dirt on Jordan. They were trying to see, even though he's a uh, quote-unquote golden boy, they're like, we have to find something. And they just use a gambling as, you know, even though it sucked like to do that. And I just feel like that wasn't even that big of a deal because he just loved to compete. Even though he's kind of psychotic with his competitiveness, he it works for him. He just, you know, he loves to win. And that's why, um, and Brandon, you made a good point too, like, that's why he couldn't go nowhere. Like the time when he was in the hotel just smoking a cigar was the first time he could be by himself. So, yeah, I agree with that. Travis kind of took the words out of my mouth. Where I mean, there's there's not really a good reason for David Stern or like or the NBA to kind of suspend Jordan. He was the face of the league, and he had so many fans. I mean, across the world, he was iconic. And I mean, to publicly suspend him to kind of punish him make people maybe lose respect for the NBA and stuff like that. But, I mean, that conspiracy theory where David Stern was the reason that uh, he took that 18-month hiatus, kind of, it's odd to think that they might actually do that, especially since, like you said, Travis, he was the face of the league. But, I mean, it's conspiracy. So, I mean, it could have happened, could have ha- couldn't have happened, never know. Yeah, and obviously it's, now, none of this stuff's ever been confirmed. Obviously, it's yeah. still just rumors that could have happened. I mean, like just like the, I believe it was their their marketing director at a time that was asked this, and he thought it was pretty much baloney, but he used some stronger language. But and there was other people that said yeah. like Jesse Jackson, Jesse Jackson, who was a big leader at the time, said that Michael's gambling was directly related to his father. It's just that some of these guys' opinions are going to be credited because they're such a big big name, like. Jesse Jackson was huge during the early ages during that time or or earlier in that time period. So people thought really highly of him. So his word could almost be marked in stone by some people. And then when you get front office people that are saying something, it's just one of those situations where sometimes it just can't be true. But when they're coming from these high names that they can almost just seem too real to be true. Yeah. And like, it just seemed like they just, you know, they were just trying to find something you know, like to keep talking about, I'm happy David Stern got to say his piece and we finally got to know like the real story because all these years it was, you know, did Jordan get his father killed? Was he, you know, was it a hitman hired? There was just all these different scenarios and no one really knew the truth. And Jordan was like, this is like, this is crazy. He's like, I can't even walk outside. Like, you know, so I just thought I was happy that the truth finally came out as suspected, you know, I was happy with Saul. I don't know. I just wanted to know if maybe there was more to that. They only showed, they only did the they only did the story for like two minutes. But but David Stern confirmed it though. He even said it was not, he just wanted to. Uh, David Stern. I mean, David think, Stern was just. David Stern didn't. He kind of was just like ha ha ha. No, we didn't I'm do that. Not. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's laughing. He even said like he. I mean, you know, he had like had his hands like this, and he's like, well, oh yeah. Ha yeah. ha ha. No. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Well, you can't be saying it now. I mean. I can't. I mean, I mean obviously. It's, well, R.I.P. It's better late than never. R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. R.I.P. Well, he's not going to be like, oh, I can come back from the dead and change my story. Maybe there's someone. I don't know. I I always thought. You, you really think there's more to this? Yeah, I think so. They at least, there would be no reason if there was really anything like okay. Yeah, he probably. It was all a face change. Like he was the face of the NBA. So like, obviously, you're going to protect the number one guy. And the plan was, you know, the plan was he's just going to come back in to the NBA right after. I mean, no one's seen. But, like, yeah, but everyone's. Man, me, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, you're fine. Let me ask you this: So if you if your star guy, like kind of like your puppy, like your child, like that came off, you know, and was yeah. successful, you just won three straight championships. You don't want him to go off that, like, hiatus. Like, you want him to keep, you know, see, even though at the time other people probably wanted to see other teams win outside of Chicago, it was just like, you do make a good point because some people were like, you know, is it too good to be true? Did it really happen? I just feel like David Stern confirmed a little bit, but you are right. He could have went more in depth and, like, there could be something else we don't know. Well, like, Reinsdorf, like, at that final, pro- like, at the press conference, like, he didn't even seem – upset that like you know they had the um you know they had he even said you know i didn't he didn't talk him out of it cover right there no i'm just kidding but you know (laughs) at the press conference he was like you know it's a sad day but i totally understand what he's doing um you know david stern's there 
you know, everyone's there. All the high ups are there. I don't know, Travis. It just seemed a little suspect to me. That's all I'm I've, saying, boys. It seemed a little air. suspect. I respect your opinion. I, I mean, I, like I mean, a, I mean, it has to be a little bit like off if they're gonna like partially use the death of Jordan's father as kind of part of the cover up for this. Whoa! I didn't like, say whoa, whoa, whoa! I didn't no, say I'm not that. Whoa, Joe! What are you talking like, about? Go. I finish. I finish. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, but anyway, that's what I was saying. Like, part of it will be using Jordan's dad's death as part of trying to cover this up, trying to have Jordan use this. If they're like, it's a conspiracy and all this stuff going on behind the scenes, use Jordan to say, "I'm playing baseball for my dad." I mean, if you're the NBA, you kind of have to be a little bit messed up if you're kind of using that as part of trying to cover up this suspension, alleged suspension. Because, yeah, and also, why wouldn't they be at his retirement speech? And, Brandon, I'm going to let you turn. I know uh, I got you. Why wouldn't they be there? Like, he's a face of the league, and he just won his third straight championship. So I feel like if they weren't there at his, like, speech, like, when he, like, decided to retire, that would have looked even more, like, suspect. Yeah, and, I mean, looking at, like, the league in the business standpoint, I mean, Jordan was, like, the guy that you literally dreamed of. And as I checked the chat, whoever the sneaky Badger 4 guy, he's, like, he's absolutely spot on. He says David Stern wouldn't suspend his greatest marketing thing he's you. ever had. Thank you. I mean, why would – it's be so hard to do that. It would just be absolutely crazy. But the, the matter of the fact is, is that, yeah, obviously the league would have to be, they'd have to be fair to every player regardless of all of this stuff. But, I mean, David Stern's got to have in the back of his mind that whatever all these rumors are going on, they got to be 100% true or something's going to be absolutely just going to be chaotic if it's going to be only 85% true. There's still, there's still speculation. I, the only way that you can really, I feel like you'd be able to suspend a guy that's, that high up in the system is if you have a hundred percent proof that he did it and you have to be fair about it. But if it's all speculation, I don't see why you, you would drop the hammer on just speculation. And, and for any of athlete as really, it's gotta be proven. Listen, I am just here to fuel the conspiracy <laughs> talk. That is what I was here to do. I, all I'm saying is I, sometimes it was fishy and David Stern, he was on, no, he wasn't on his way out. Cause what he, he stopped, he was done 2012, I think is when he was 2014. Done. 2014. 2014, close. Yeah, so he still had a ways to go when this whole thing happened. So, uh, but definitely. moving on, where do we want to go from here? We can go right after, you know, he's. we can talk about his baseball career. I know you mentioned he meets Terry Francona, Brandon, when he goes to Birmingham. And what I thought was interesting is that the reason he went there, because, you know, Reinsdorf said, you know, we don't usually – let people right come in right into the league to start at double a. Um, the reason they went to double a though, is because they needed to have the media capacity uh, or the capacity in order to field the media, which, um, which is crazy, which I thought um, just because, you know, he was, his popularity was able to bring him up, you know, from single a or, you know, pre a, and yeah. then all the way up. Um, but I, I thought it was, I thought that fact was kind of interesting. Yeah, definitely. And um, I mean, as far as the Birmingham Barons, this is the most attention, no offense, that they're ever going to get in their franchise history. Yeah. You, know, you have the biggest. Oh, for yeah, sure. For I sure. Mean, yeah, no pun intended. Uh, like, they had, you know, you got the biggest star of all time. Like, everyone knew who Michael Jordan was. Even if you hated mm-hmm. sports, you just knew who he was. So, and especially he hadn't played baseball in 14 years. He was 31 when it happened. And he hadn't played baseball since he was 17. So, it was obviously some rust, and they were working with him. I just think it was very cool how they, like, kind of accepted him. Because in some cases, some of those guys could have felt like, hey, this guy's taking my spot at potential uh, major. Like, I'm trying to go to the league, and he's kind of taking my chance just because of his name, Michael Jordan. So I just think it was very cool how they were kind of able to get him in there and just be – like, it was just a smooth process. It seemed like if it wasn't for the lockout or the strike they were having um, in the minor leagues, he would it looked like he might have would have stayed. I don't know if he would have honestly came back to basketball. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, uh, he went into, like you said, Travis, I mean, these guys could have kind of given the cold shoulder. They could have just been, oh, this is just a publicity stunt. He's here to just yeah. come on and move up just as a publicity stunt. But these guys kind of take him in and welcome him as one of the guys. I feel like that's kind of one of the good things for him, especially since he was kind of 
was an experiment. It was kind of a risky experiment, especially since we had so much success uh, in, in the NBA. Just uh, to baseball, it got to the point where you know he was kind of putting a lot on the line for this for this experience. I mean, when you look at it, I mean, he wasn't too bad of a baseball player either. I mean, in the article it says he started off with a history of a solid athlete, but when we had that, I mean, it's really cool that these guys kind of brought him in and helped him out so that he could have been, uh, so that he became a better baseball player. Yeah, and the the big thing that like I didn't realize is that the dude drove in. He drove in fifty runs in his first season, which was something that not even the top prospects at the time were able to do. And yeah, he ended up batting two oh two. But I mean, the thirteen game hit streak was that was a cool thing to see. It's like, hey, this guy's still on top. And but then they started to really figure him out with the curveballs, and then it kind of went downhill from there. But I mean, he still ended up getting better. I mean, he, they were talking that Michael Jordan ended up doing like four batting practices. It seemed like a day he would go in seven 30 in the morning before a game. He'd do BP. Then they do pregame BP. And then he would do B obviously he'd be batting during the game. And then after the game, he'd go hit more whenever what he's left. It was just, he always had that mentality. He was, or he was getting better all the time. And I can't stress that enough. And that's kind of what made him a better player. But the crazy thing was like, he didn't obviously start like he wasn't an all-star in double a when oh, yeah. he was on this team. Obviously, I mean, they had the, the image of him dropping the fly ball in left field near the fence or whatever. It's like, yeah, the dude's human. Everybody on the planet will make an error at some point in a sport or just in life in general. It happens. But like the the SI cover when they said like bag at Michael Wiley, the White Sox and Michael Jordan are starting to become an embarrassment to baseball. And it was just kind of like at that point, you it, it almost seems like, yeah, Michael has a really good point why that should not be like something that's put out right away especially the fact that they didn't talk to him really about it they were doing all these like pre-quotes or whatever it was but I mean the guy's just doing what he wants to do and I mean it's great for the Barons I mean the team hasn't even been popular literally at all and now they got sold out crowds to go get an autograph from him and watch him and they're literally going under the the wall um you call it the just kind of the banners on the wall. There's a little slot under the fence and there's people all around the outfield uh, fence that are wanting to watch Michael. It just seems like that this is bringing so much good to both Michael, the fans, the players loved having him. It was almost like having one of the coolest rookies of all time on your team. Like the, the matter of the fact is, is like everybody enjoyed Michael being on the baseball stage, except for those people that just still had a hatred for him in the media. Yeah. And, you know, the last thing I'll say on the the Jordan thing on him being at, with the Barons is that he felt that, you know, he didn't want to be treated like he was Michael Jordan of basketball. He wanted to be treated that he was Michael Jordan of baseball. So, you know, he felt like he was one of the guys. And um, one of the reporters that stuck around with Jordan during all these years, he said, you know, I think this was really good for him because it was able to just, you know, there wasn't so much pressure. And, you know, he was accepted you know, not as, like I said, not as as basketball Michael Jordan, but as baseball Michael Jordan. So he felt like one of the guys. And uh, I think Jordan just ending that segment uh, of baseball, he said that he was, you know, he felt like he was young again, which is scary because he wasn't even that old <laughs> to begin with. Exactly. So, right. So I, I thought it, I thought it was good. Um, I think then the documentary rolls off into, you know, he's at, you know, Michael Jordan's at baseball and then, they show like the Bulls without Michael Jordan, and yeah. I mean I I didn't I really because I didn't know what had happened before, you know after he had left um, I didn't know they made it to the playoffs um, that was a shock to me I was learning you know you learn something new every day um, yeah. but if we want to get into that game where Scottie Pippen kind of gives up you know because he's not gonna be because he's not getting the ball. On the last shot, um, you know, and I think, you know, you see the reports come out about how Scotty was portrayed. You know, he doesn't like how he was portrayed in this uh, this documentary. You know, he produced it. They show all these scenes before of Kukoc knocking down game winners in the season. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's kind of – I don't know where Jordan gets that because Jordan obviously wasn't there at the time. So he's got either a film crew. Someone told him set to put this in here to collectively put these all together. 
um, to show Kukoc knocking down these game winners and then to show Scotty just sitting on the bench with some guy, like, in his ear telling him, like, hey, nice job, loser. Like, you didn't want to come on the game. You know, you knew Kukoc was going to hit it when they were showing all the shots of him. Um, but the thing that got me was was Bill Cartwright crying after they won. That was the thing that got me. That was because he's only in this – he's only in the documentary, I think, for, like, two episodes. Um, and oh. Oh, maybe, oh, he's maybe in for a few more. M- more than that, yeah. Like I don't, we don't see a lot of him. He doesn't get a lot of airtime. But like when he did come on, it was him just saying, "Like, man, I was upset." <laughs> I was like, "All right, all right." So yeah, but he quit on him. But Barrett, I'm happy you came to this point, and I've been honestly eager to talk about this. And this is another reason why I just feel like Michael Jordan is the goat. I know a lot of people say, "Well, they won two less games without him. They still went to the second round." Could you imagine? like when LeBron left, but they really didn't have a leader. Scotty is a great individual player. I know guys like playing with him, but the fact you quit on the last play just because he set up a play for Tony Kukoc, who had the better option to obviously end up hitting the shot, just shows like it speaks to your character. Then you talk about, well, I didn't like the way how Jordan portrayed me, you know, in the documentary made me look bad. You said literally in the documentary, if I could redo it, I wouldn't change it. Like nobody told you to say that. Yeah, like that was just... a, that was the weirdest thing. Is he said? I, I know. I thought I misheard it. That he said, I, yeah. "I do it all over again." Yeah, I'm like, you're just contradicting yourself. I'm like, you're not a true leader. Like, you can't. Scotty leading a team to a championship was just not going to happen. Like, he's a great player, Hall of Fame. But the fact that you did that in the team, it took them a while to even forgive him because that was kind of like a stain for them for a long time. Because the thing is, a lot of people don't get. They were down 0-2 to the Knicks. Let's say two uh, Kukoc misses the game where you go down 0-3. That's on you. Like you're like Scotty should be, you know, thanking uh, Kukoc that he hit that shot because he really saved his legacy. Like he should have gave him some of the stimulus check that Scotty was getting. But like, um, <laughs> like, like I, like, like I don't understand. Like just because even though you are the guy, I understand. You know, you want to take the shot because oh, Michael's not here. It's finally my time to shine. It's just it's a team sport, and he had the I just. Scotty was definitely wrong. Anybody who says otherwise, I mean, come on. Well, Scotty probably couldn't give any money away because he signed a garbage contract. So Kukoc is probably yeah. making more money than I don't know if that's no, no, true. Kukoc no, Kukoc was. He no, was. Right. Oh, that's terrible. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead, Joe. I know I was breaking yeah, up rotation. Hey, I like to point out to Travis where I mean Scotty wanted like that time to shine, uh, especially since Jordan was gone. Because I mean. You saw how frustrated he was, especially kind of seeing with his contract in the past episodes and everything. And he kind of—I think he probably kind of thought that this was his time to show everyone, like, "Hey, like, I deserve more money. Like, I'm the guy now. Everyone should just be listening to me." And like, I'm the guy who's gonna come in clutch for us, stuff like that. But I mean, and when they're relying on Kukoc, who's kind of like the new guy who they ended up destroying in the Olympics. I mean, it's kind no. of. A slap to the face. To, I mean, not. Really, I mean, Kukoc ended up in the shot, like we said. But I mean, I bet Pippen kind of took it as a slap to the face for the. He just didn't really think. Or, I was, excuse me. Let me rephrase this. Where he thought that Phil Knight wasn't gonna, wasn't going to come in clutch uh, for the team, and it's kind of. I feel like he kind of felt like it was a slap in the face when Kukoc was asked to step up and hit the shot. Yeah, and the crazy thing is, like, Pippen, like, he really stepped up his game a little bit when MJ was gone, and I remember him quoting that said when they asked him, like, what was it like when MJ left? And he was like, oh, we're we're a good team. Like, we're gelling. Nobody was getting yelled at by Michael. <laughs> Everything was okay. <laughs> but, I mean, Pippen, had, he's had, he averaged 22 points, almost nine rebounds, five assists. The dude was still balling, and it's just crazy to think that he would do that because, I mean – you got to, like, respect what you're good at. And obviously, like, we don't remember Scottie Pippen knocking down a game-winning shot in a clutch moment in, like, a playoff game. It's just that wasn't his M.O. He wasn't the scoring type. And that's why I, I truly believe that he was probably the one of the best fits Michael could have had for a, for a tandem. Just be – whoa. Oh, just whoa, lost Joe. Joe. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Um, but, um, oh, yeah, no, go but- on. Go on, go on, Brandon. I'll keep going until Joe comes back. But but the fact is, is that Kukoc was the guy that was going to be the one that's going to take the shot because the dude had experience in knocking down not one, not two, at least three game winners in the previous in the whole season before that. And Mm -hmm. it's just like Phil literally said. He said we had a play. 
that we were designed for Kukoch and it already worked multiple times, multiple times. And this is the playoffs. You're not going to try anything that you don't think is not going to work in the playoffs. You're going to go to your best play in your playbook. So the the fact is, is that like, yeah, you understand that it's got to be a little bit frustrating for Pippen because he really never got his chance. But it's like at the same time, it's like Kukoc was literally the guy that was going to get the job done. And it's just kind of hard. I mean, it's hard for him to see that, but that's just the way it was. But I mean, you you can you can be mad all you want, though. But when it comes to the team first, that's what's going to get you the W in the end. Yeah, and you're in. Oh, oh, go ahead, Barry. Bye, Joe. Hello, Joe. Um, I know you say your point, then I'll I'll move on to another point that he was saying. So go ahead. Oh, good looks. Yeah, I was just saying, like, it's just a bad looking Scotty. Like the thing I just don't understand. Did he just, like, think this was just going to be forget about? Like, you know, oh, yeah, people won't talk about this years later, especially in a documentary. Like, you made – like, you did it to yourself. Like, I don't understand. Even when you're the best player, still a team sport. And the thing is, Scotty's a team guy. He didn't even seem like that selfish guy. It's just – I don't know why he was just like, I'm just going to take myself out the game in the most important part of the season. It's just – it was just such a punk move. It was just such a weak move and definitely something Scotty regret. Well, actually, doesn't regret just something that's a hole in his resume because it was just your opportunity and you blew it. Yeah, and you're at the highest stage of this sport here, and if you're going to act like that, um, you know, credit to Phil Jackson because he didn't, like, fight with him on the sideline. He really just said, what? And then he just like, all right, someone else come in. Um, But going back to what you said, Brandon, about how Scotty said, you know, our team was good because no one was being yelled at. Um, you know, then we get into this whole sequence of, you know, it flashes back to Jordan and his relationship with his teammates to where, you know, he's the guy who pushes, I don't know, he, they say pushes everyone and, you know, all the players are like, oh yeah, like this, this is definitely needed for us. Like we, you know, we needed to be pushed like this. Um, dude was mean, like he was brutal. You know, this is where we get introduced, uh, in episode seven to Scott Burrell, who Jordan called him good, but then he said, you know, he just didn't have the drive or, like, the determination. Um, I thought Scott was an okay player, but, you know, I didn't think – I didn't think that uh, – I didn't think what Jordan did, you know, or how he did it was, like, necessary. I understand, you know, if no one really res- – if no one really respected him, you know, I think if he was doing this, like, in year one, I think this would be kind of crazy. Um I think you can probably do it now if you have a couple championships under your belt. But no. still, I mean, you know, Phil Jackson mentions multiple times where he says, you know, I, I had to break up practice and, um, you know, it's kind of annoying. So, you know, obviously it, would, it hurt chemistry, but it also strengthened it at the same time, which I, I kind of thought was a, an odd scenario that, or odd thing that happened on the on these teams. Definitely, and it just speaks another testament of Michael's competitiveness. He's willing to do literally anything to win a game. That's what just separates him from almost anybody in the history of the NBA. Him and Kobe, another guy, like cut from the same cloth. And with Scott Burrell, it actually worked because Scott Burrell ended up having a career, you know, playoff game against the New Jersey Nets in the first round where he had, I believe, 23 or uh, maybe 28 points. I think it was 23, though, but mm-hmm. he just was pushing guys. But in Thank you. And the thing was, at first, Jordan was trying to push them to get on his level, but Jordan didn't realize guys aren't as talented as you. Like, you know, Steve Kerr's not going to windmill. Like, that's just that's just not going to happen unless he does a ah. video game or something. So, like, you know, he had to realize maybe I can push him to a point for his potential and maximize, you know, his shooting talents and Scott Burrell, you know, get them, you know, like going like that. And when Jordan finally figured that out, that's what really made him, like, the GOAT. But some of his tactics, it was like Jordan knew he crossed the line a few times, like his teammates said it, but – they did win, and I mean, I think it was just kind of funny because Jordan even sent a documentary. Like, I really tried my best to get to Scott Burrell, but he's really, sincerely, just a nice guy. Yeah, I mean, that's really what it was. Yeah, you can't like you can't turn a, a really nice guy into a mean guy. It really, it really yeah. can't really work like that. It's usually almost the other way around. But it was kind of like interesting that really like the chemistry you'd see, especially out of the early '90s teams with the '91, '92, '93 dynasty three feet. But it was Pippen was always the guy. Well, first off, it was Michael that was always kind of the guy that's like, I'm going to literally push you as hard as you possibly can mm-hmm. mentally because I know that's when the end what's going to make you better. 
So pretty much he was going to beat you down as far as you could go to realize that you are much better than you say you are. And then you got Pippen on the other side that kind of comes in. Obviously, they, they made like the reference, his arm around the shoulder. Hey, it's going to yeah. be all right. You still got this. Where you kind of got both best of both worlds where it's kind of like that's really what's kind of the yin-yang kind of where you're going to be end up being successful is you got both sides of the spectrum to help out your whole team because obviously they're – every person on this team was different. We obviously learned that for sure going through this documentary that they learned uh-huh. differently. And Scott Burrell was a great, great, really great player coming out of Connecticut and just that the lack of drive or whatever. I mean, obviously that that's kind of what his, um, you could say like his um, work in progress, like trait was like, there's always a, a negative put on your draft report there. If you don't have a draft negative, you're pretty much anyone to be a bust anyway, because they'll find something. But I mean, the, the matter of the fact is, is that with both of those teams or both of those guys together, that they were always trying to push each other, both their players and themselves, both in the ways that they're taught. And then but when you take away Michael and now it's almost nice guy with Pippen, now you can almost kind of see like it might not get the excuse me. Let me rephrase that. Just like Joe said earlier, you might not get people pushed the way as far as Michael would push them. That's what kind of made them not as good as they probably could have been. And that's probably might have been what been a little bit frustrated to Scotty because, I mean, it, it's it's a fact that this team wasn't as good as when they had Michael. They didn't have as good of a record of playoff seed, and that's why they ended up, didn't get there all the way. They just didn't have the team to get there. But, I mean, it also they ran into the Knicks, though, too. But, I mean, just when you have that yin-yang leadership style, when you take one away, you're going to see the effects that's not going to produce the same outcome as them together. That's my point. Right. Yeah, no, I, to- I totally agree. And this kind of just showing that Jordan leaving and, um, you know, it shows that kind of Phil Jackson was still able to, you know, they still got him to the playoffs after jo- without Jordan, um, you know, shows that, that he was able to, his teaching styles, and they show, I think, episode three, episode three or four, where they talk about Phil Jackson's origins. They talk about how, you know, he's such a good guy, uh, does a, excuse me, does a good job of bringing everyone together and focused on one goal. Um, You know, Jordan obviously was teaching, you know, he coached, not coached, but like, you know, he pushed his teammates in a different way than Phil Jackson probably, you know, mentally challenged you. Whereas Jordan, like, physically and mentally challenged you. Yeah. Um, no, I thought it was. I thought it was interesting. I, I. Yeah, you're right. I could never see Scotty being the guy who. Thank you. Is the number one? Like he just. And maybe it's just because he's been paired up with Jordan all these years. But I could never see him being the Batman. I could always see him being the Robin to anybody. I just. It, it's kind of like a Kyrie aspect. I don't kind of a comparison if you want to make that to today's game that's kind of what it is just because like I just don't see him and maybe I'm giving maybe I'm giving Kyrie too much credit but um, no no you're completely right I think Honestly, like yeah I literally was gonna steal I was literally gonna make yeah. that example right on, so yeah I just you yeah. make a good point oh, oh, <laughs> yeah no I, I just think like that was what that's what it was I think you know he was talking Coaching different ways, and then Brandon, as you said, p- players respond differently to different types of coaching styles. So, um, Grant, you know, good job they made it to the finals. Bad job, you know, they didn't make it too much farther because the Knicks, um, Knicks were a good team uh, during that time. So, uh, tough for them. So the, after that, and then they they jump, they jump ahead. I think to 1998, where they play mm-hmm. are like they just. And we have a phone call. We have uh, a line. Yeah, are you gonna uh, answer it? <laughs> no, my mom just it's from mom upstairs. <laughs> um, and um, it's it's Jerry that? Krause. That, I know it's Jerry Krause yeah, on the line. Oh my god! <laughs> um, <laughs> but they just go to the Nets and or they just sweep the Nets and then they they're in the series with the Hornets. And I thought the whole B.J. Armstrong like. Game what oh, yeah, what was really awesome because you know he he says he's like you know I think I can play these guys I know how to play these guys and you know he has a game and um this is when we get into like the whole um like meme of 
Jordan goes, I'm going to make it personal. This, I made it personal. I made it personal. Because Armstrong, you know, <laughs> you know, he's clapping after he made the bar. I mean, I would be pumped too if it was my former team and I just hit a shot to go up to put, you know, the ice the game. Like, I don't, I don't think BJ was, you know, out of line for that. So I think, uh, I think it was just interesting to now we see uh, Jordan show himself as being the guy who, I'm going to do this because of this. You know, I'm going to make everything personal to him. Yeah, and, like, Barry, you make a good point. First of all, shout out to BJ Armstrong because he went to Brother Rice High School, and he's from um, the suburbs of Michigan, so shout out to yeah. him for that. But you were very wrong in the situation, BJ. You won three championships with this man. He carried you <laughs> to three championships. You know what? It only takes a little bit, like, maybe just giving him a weird eye or something to piss him off. So, like, why would you – I mean, I understand you won the game. You know, you're in your zone. You're having a good game against Michael Jordan and the freaking Chicago Bulls. I'll be happy too, but after you hit the shot, you look at the bench and tell Jordan, like, you ain't got in all this other stuff. Like, then you lose the next three games. You know, it only takes a little to get him going. Then the thing I love, Jordan's in the locker room, I think, with Ron Harper. It's a classic Jordan moment. He has a cigar in his mouth, and he has a baseball bat. He's like, it's easy to talk, you know, when you're up. You know, let's see where the talking starts when it's 0-0. Then after that, it just wasn't close, and they knew the team. They knew uh, the Hornets what was going to happen after that. Like Jordan, you got one game, cool. Then you know you just lost three straight. So BJ, I just thought he, you know he was acting like he like won a state championship. He was reliving some high school days, and you know reality kicked in. Yeah, I mean BJ, don't tease MJ. We've learned that how many times during this documentary it doesn't work out. And the the craziest thing is like this was probably one of my favorite parts of like probably the whole series is um um I'm literally blanking on his name. I think it's um they oh. have the story it was from the Washington Bullets and Finally it's um, think, yeah. LeBron uh, not LeBron. Yeah, Le, is it <laughs> It's not LeBron, but it's like a it's, name. It's LeBron. Yeah. No, no, I know, I know Le, what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like LeBrantley Smith or something Le is, and he ends up going off for, for it's something like that. That's probably wrong, but like, if you watch the episode, you know who I'm talking about. He played for the Bullets. He ended up scoring 37 on Mike, but Mike ends up winning. And then there's the story that he ended up going by MJ on the way out, and he said, hey, nice game, Michael. And this was the time where they actually allowed back-to-back games against the same team. So they end up going to Washington, and he ends up dropping um, 30, I believe 37 in the first half after saying that I'm going to literally, like, bury this kid in front of his home crowd. And he ends up having a terrible game. Mike ends up getting like 49 and then they live it up like 30 years later. And they ask him like about the story. And he said, Oh yeah, I made that up. That was just kind of the thing that literally sparked something that you would never thought would just happen just by making up just a little bit of something for motivation. Cause that's what Mike did. Yeah. And his name and is, Oh, go ahead. Oh, thank you. Like he's just literally like, he's literally a psychic, like, comp- like it's insane. He would make up scenarios in his head. Like, Oh, he, you know, he's looking at me funny. Oh, like he, you know, he, all those other things, and he would just start going off, and that's what literally separated him. And like, I remember the story he he told the team that and they already knew what was going on because they said he was quiet and he wasn't like trying to play cards. Like Michael, you know, he's always trying to take our money. Like what's new? But you know, he you know he was focused on he's laser focused. This is scary. So. Yeah, LeBradford Smith was the victim. The victim's LeBradford. name. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that was interesting that he had openly admitted that he was like made it up because, um, you know, no one ever got like the side of like LeBrad or LeBradford's side of the story. I thought that was weird just because, um, like, yeah, why would Michael for him to make something up and then visualize it in game? Like if that's really what you need to like get yourself ready for a game, to make a lie in your head and then be like, yeah, I need to, I need, I'm going to attack this guy. Um, I understand BJ's, you know, the flame from BJ just because like, you know, that was, you know, former teammate shot trash talking. Um, but right. LeBranford Smith never did anything wrong to MJ. Uh, very sad. Uh, you know, I kind of messed up, kind of, <laughs> I mean- kind of messed up, but like, Jordan's documentary, so he's the one who made it. So, <laughs> yeah, LeBradford can make his own to respond later if he wants. <laughs> yeah, I, I would tune in. Yeah, so I think that's all we can say for episode seven. Now, 
I watched episode eight, but maybe someone can drive a topic on here um, of what you guys like to talk about. I think episode LeBradford was in yeah. episode eight, so I'm, I, maybe I have these all combined. Um, yeah, in episode eight to start it um, off, this is when the time Jordan's coming back now from uh, baseball back to the NBA. <clears throat> so it starts off with um, him, you know, talking to BJ Armstrong. He like hits him up. He's saying you want to come to practice to see the guys, and he says like sure. Then BJ starts this thing saying like. You're not the same, you know, no more. Just like saying, you know, I can maybe get you now. So after they have breakfast together, Jordan goes back and he gets that, you know, competitive nature going back and he just starts beating him. Then he says, you know, I'm going to come back. So, you know, um, he comes back against the uh, uh, Indiana Pacers, Mm -hmm. March 19th, 1995. He just says the simple two words, I'm back. If there was a Twitter back then, that would probably be the most retweeted tweet of all time. Retweet, right. Yeah, and when he came back, he sadly wasn't that good in that game. He was 7 of 28 with only 19 points, but the world knew he was back. Then by the fifth game, the double nickel, 55 against the Knicks, everyone knew he was back, and John Starks, God bless his heart, he just kept you know, being on the wrong side of Jordan every time. And that was just the start of them like getting trying to get back in the rhythm of things as they made the playoffs, which they lost to uh, the Orlando Magic. Yeah, for sure. And oh. uh, I was, Sorry, I thought Barrett was going, but oh, it's no, fine. Oh, no, you're good. Uh, this is the Bulls team going in, and obviously, like, um, like Horace Grant kind of pulled a Joe. He kind of, like, left town for a little bit and winds up going to Orlando, and he's now a part of a really a really good team that was really kind of overlooked throughout the history. Like, I mean, they had an absolutely stacked lineup. They had Nick Anderson was probably their, their least, well, least, least well-known guy, and Horace Grant's paired with Shaq, and they got Penny Hardaway in there, like, this two, this team was extremely good, and they had a better record than the Bulls did at the time. And they ended up beating them, um, beating the Bulls to get to the finals, which pretty much kind of set the the story for the next three years in Michael's mind when they are. But I mean, the Magic were they were a really good team. They won fifty seven games, and they I believe they only lost two home games, which was absolutely incredible. And they ended up losing to the Red Hot Rockets in four straight games, and just wasn't their they wasn't their day. But it was like. When MJ came back that first game, and um, and when actually he came back, a lot of people didn't know that he actually changed his number to 45, kind of to symbolize this is a new time, like especially with his, his dad not being there, kind of didn't feel right at the time. He wanted kind of a clean slate to start over. He ends up wearing 45 was his childhood number when he played in high school. And then they ends up getting – he ends up – they played a really good game back and forth, and then late in the game, MJ's got it. They're up one. He's looking to seal it, and he ends up getting the ball stolen from him from Nick Anderson, which leads to a Horace Grant dunk, ironically, to end that game. And then the craziest thing was, like, I remember – I can't remember the guy's name, and it makes sense for me that I forgot his name, but um, the the <laughs> kind of the philosopher at the time that said, like, nobody stole MJ's rock. And that was just kind of the moment where they realized, oh, wait a minute, this guy – He's actually human, and that kind of led to the news report, like breaking news. Michael Jordan oh, is human, yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. He's, not, yeah. he's not like he's not just this you know, absolutely like immortal character. But it was just kind of that moment where Nick Anderson ends up saying like forty-five, eight, twenty-three, and horse is like, oh boy, here we go again. And then the next night, Michael Jordan's back in twenty-three, and that was what felt better to him. He ends up having the game of the playoffs, pretty much for him. But it ends up not going their way later. But that pretty much really started the the dynasty on the road. I really believe because if they didn't win that series, Michael wouldn't have had that just absolutely gnashing attitude during the off season. Like I'm gonna, I'm ready to go play the Magic next year and destroy them, which they ended up doing and giving them a four nothing ride home. And this is the, you know, about basketball. This is the episode they talk about Space Jam, correct? Yes. This yeah. Is one of okay. Yes. Yeah, so I I had I remember remember watching this. I remember watching this, but I don't remember. I remember. I actually don't remember too much about this episode. I remember watching the. I remember watching what you just said about the Nick Anderson swiping the ball from him and mm-hmm. him switching the numbers. But I don't really. I remember them talking about. Oh, maybe I fell asleep, but uh, <laughs> the yeah, I guess you you know you talk about how he wasn't the same player with, um, you know, the number obviously was like a symbol for him. You know, a 23, you know, that's paced all over. You know, when you see 23, you think Jordan. Um, yeah. But the the fact that Jerry Krause traded away Horace Grant when, you know, as soon as Michael left, 
I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, I know I'm kind of oh, going, oh, yeah, I'm going back like a year, but I thought, you know, Jerry Krause could have, you know, and they say Steve Kerr is on the thing saying, hey, you know, you could have definitely given him the money because no one else really needed money at the time. Uh, he just let Horace walk. Uh, maybe, and I know I I said last last show I didn't think Horace was the only one talking. Um, talking about? As talking about the Jordan Rules Sam Smith book or yeah Sam's. No, you're right. Yeah, book yeah. Uh, Chicago Tribune reporter, but the um, uh, that can just maybe show that Kraus really thought that Horace was the only guy to talk about, or he was listening to the players. Um, who ultimately bully him throughout the whole thing. So, but yeah, I don't, yeah, def- I can't, I don't, I didn't watch the last bit of this. So I'm very sorry to tell you. Uh, oh no, you're good. And that was on a huge part. And Brandon, I'm happy you brought up the 95 series. Cause when Nick Anderson said that you just keep adding more fuel to the fire, like they know it doesn't take much to get Michael going. So next season, like you said, they end up becoming at the time, the greatest record of all time, 72 and 10, but going into that season, Jordan's, like, getting really at his teammates. A lot of the guys that weren't there for the first three-peat, like Steve Kerr, Jeff Bushler, and a few other guys, Jordan was really trying to, like, let them know that, you know, we do things a certain way. And obviously, the famous fight, Steve Kerr and Michael Jordan, they get into it. And Jordan ends up being the little, uh, the most, you know, the shortest guy in practice, and Phil Jackson sends him home. But in a way, Steve Kerr even said in the documentary that brought them closer together, which, not to jump ahead too much, Kerr ended up hitting the game-winning shot in the 97 finals against the Jazz, you know, to get their fifth championship. It was just little things like that, just Jordan saying, even though it sounds crazy, he had to fight you to get, you know, for him to, you know, earn his respect. It was just little things like that. Then they got their revenge, and they swept the the Magic four games. So, Nick Anderson, I mean, you just had no chance after that. He actually hadn't been the same since he missed those uh, three throws against the Rockets. That's another story. And it was just a great, um, you know, great start to uh, their second uh, three-peat. Yeah, absolutely. And just going back a little bit before that, like, it just seemed incredible. Just the fact it was almost like a dream watching the documentary when they're doing the Space Jam, um, their movie set, and they end up building the the Jordan Dome and he's got a place to literally train. And then you, you like, he's like, I'm just going to go play some pickup with some guys. And you're like, all right, he's just trying to get back in shape. And he ends up calling like, you know, just Charles Barkley and Reggie Miller it's just like literally almost like the dream team. Obviously, it wasn't as good as the dream team, but it's like the next generation dream team is playing. They're playing two hour games in the Jordan Dome when he's doing like literally eight hours of filming every day, two hours of training, and then he saves two more hours to play pickup ball after the whole thing's over. Just like that whole thing is crazy. But I mean, you're absolutely right. The magic really did change the the narrative for the Bulls. I mean, they had that. They had kind of the the downset of them losing. Michael thought was really just not himself after that that um, that loss to the Magic the year before when he thought he could really bring the team back. And then the next year he ends up putting pretty much the team on his back, where he ends up leading them and getting the guys with him like Steve Kerr, which it it was absolutely right. Like that was like the way that the way that Steve Kerr stood up to MJ despite his size and despite MJ's just he's the guy you don't want to mess with him. You just got to do what he says. But the fact that like Steve Kerr said, Hey, I'm not scared of anybody. Like what? I'll fight you. That's just the competitor. I am that gave him the respect. And pretty much you would have gave him what led to be the trust in that game six game. When MJ's talking to him on the bench saying, Hey, I might get doubled. I'm going to give you the ball. And he said, all right, I'm ready for it. And then we know, we know the rest is history. And we also know how the, 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 the celebration speeches, which I oh, think yeah. is even more iconic that he said, but we can get into that later. But like just the whole the whole Bulls team getting back together and they're gelling. They got Dennis back, they got Scotty back, they got guys like Steve Kerr that are even almost kind of improving the team compared to their their previous three um or three peat teams beforehand. You got guys like Steve Kerr and you got Luke Longley and you've got um Ku Coach as well. Like this team was even almost to seem like better, and they end up going on the crazy run that led to what was the the win loss record um record at the time, which was uh, seventy two and ten until the the Warriors a couple years ago did um just kind of bumped them down a little bit with seventy three wins, no flex, but I mean Steve Kerr yeah. also has the number the two records for win loss record in the regular season as a coach and a player, which is pretty cool. But 
just the just the whole narrative of that team getting stronger than ever after that magic series really is what kind of started that that huge confidence boost and they end up going down the road and then winning those winning those championships later on i think i i truly believe that it was sparked by that losing of the magic that almost kind of humbled them and said hey we're not as good as we used to be we got to get better yeah i agree the magic loss definitely like you said, sparked everything. And then, you know, you can see throughout this whole documentary that Steve Kerr is positively portrayed in this. Not that there was too oh, yeah. much, not there, that there was too much negative uh, about it, about him with these teams. I mean, he knew his role. I mean, he was a guy who was just going to get in. Uh, he wasn't going to take that many shots, but he's going to pass the ball yeah. around and he was going to make his shots when he was asked upon, obviously, as we know, um, yeah, I thought the fight was interesting. Um, this, like, the last thing I'll say is that, like, I think the relationship, like you said, right there, was just strengthened right together because Definitely. you know the respect earned through that. Because Jordan, you know, you see all through these two episodes here that he was just pushing his teammates, you know, pushing, 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 you know, ragging on them. You know, and Steve Kerr was just like, okay, that's cool. I'm here. Like, I, I'll match your energy. <laughs> I'll match your energy for sure. Um, I also had someone reach in the comments, ask about Joe. We didn't really address that. Uh, Joe is currently experiencing technical difficulties. Uh, someone said yeah. Joe, Joe pulled the Horace Grant. Um, <laughs> I did not. We did not. We did not trade him. We did not trade him. Yeah, we did not trade him away. Um, he just has to be released. He just, yeah, he just has to be released. He, he just went to get surgery early on his foot. He did not want to mess up his summer. So that is where Joe went. Hopefully he will be back and better. Um, I know he's got internet issues and mic issues. You know, we're all doing this remotely. Um, yeah. If there's anything else you guys like to talk about. Yeah, just... I, I, one more thing about the Steve Kerr and Michael Jordan. Also, mm -hmm. this was a great episode, fellas. I think one thing that also brought them closer together, even though Steve Kerr said he never talked about it, both their fathers got killed, as it showed yes. in uh, the documentary. Steve Kerr's uh, father was brutally murdered, and he found out in his dorm room at um, Arizona. And it was just a very sad thing um, to hear and to see. But I do think, in a way, that kind of bonded them, because like just knowing like kind of their background stories, mm -hmm. I think that was a cool thing. Because now Michael and Steve, you know, be you know, best of friends, and they're still, uh, you know, cool to this day. And it was just nice to see um, that growth. And it was just sad it had to come through a tragedy to get there, but. Everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you do you do see the similarities kind of build up with this team. I mean, like Steve Kerr didn't get a full scholarship offer until I believe like literally late spring, early summer of the year he graduated from high school. He ends up getting a or getting a scholarship to go play at Arizona. He jumps on it right away, and his dad's over in another country, like trying to help out their situation and then we we know that the tragedy happened while he was in arizona which was a really hard thing to go through but right. like the it just seemed like a lot of these bulls guys were such a we were such blue chip guys that they were never gonna never gonna just say yep we're good they were always like nope there's one more tier nope there's one more tier we can get even better than we did before and there's jerry cross calling again i but, know dude um, yeah, it's, yeah. jerry cross is it's pretty yeah, Jerry Krause wants contracts from us for a couple of thousand, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, but it's just it's crazy to see, like, you don't need the number one pick in the next three years. Like, we kind of see with kind of like the tanking idea that a lot of um, teams have started to kind of adapt where they're not going to have a good season stream. Might as well get three good guys in. It's like all of these really great players aren't the guys that are going to be, like, a lot of them aren't drafted in the first couple picks. I mean, MJ was only the, the was a number three overall guy, and he was going to be the guy regardless of his work ethic. And you got guys like Pippen from an NAIA school, and then Rodman, who really might not have even played basketball if he wasn't recognized playing street ball, it seemed like at that time. And then Steve Kerr, I believe, was a second-round pick, just – kind of just to fill the need kind of pick. And he ends up being a huge asset to this team. They end up drafting guys like Kukoc, who a lot of people overlook because he was overseas, but Jerry Krause still got it there. So you got to give Jerry Krause some credit, despite like him responding to like the backstabbing going on. And there's all these people that are saying like, oh, he's the good guy. Oh no, he's the bad guy. And there's always the fight between the management and the players. But when you look at this dynasty in the end, if you didn't have the GM type of play or GM type of management, that you that they had at the time and you don't have the players that they had at this time. I mean, 
any anything could have really happened. They might still be at zero championships. It's completely possible if they don't make some of these draft picks like MJ or Pippen or these guys. It's just kind of crazy that, yeah, in the end, everything does happen for a reason and that it, it ended up working out in their favor and that we ended up getting the, to see all of this in a documentary, which just makes it even that much better. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think we should end on that. That was a solid, yes. a solid closing statement by Brandon. Yes. All right. We will be back Monday, 7 o'clock. We will wrap up the documentary, the infamous, not infamous, the famous Last Dance. Um, it's going to be a good one. I like how this, I like how the documentary ends. No spoilers, of course. I mean, I'm sure people have yeah. seen it, but um, yeah, thank you for coming out. I know we had, I think we had double digits in the chat tonight, so that was, that was pretty nice. So yes, uh, this will be on Spotify. Uh, Brandon is part of MS, wait, MVSP. I'm sorry, MVSP, my bad, Most Valuable Sports Podcast. Travis and I, Mike's and Takes. So we will see you guys on Spotify. We'll also be on Apple, uh, you know, Bulldog Radio. Is anything else you guys want to add? Have a good night and uh, have a great weekend, guys. Thank you for tuning in. That's all right. Thank you for tuning in.